Good morning, everyone. We are blessed to be here today, and we have an incredible guest joining us today. Marshall Jones is in the house, the founder of Mind Body Speaks, and uh, obviously that's right up my alley. Uh, and you know, it's funny because I, Marshall, welcome to office hours. But I uh, had a, a, a guest uh, major. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, and and. He talks about vibration, famous uh, musical artist, and talks about vibration and, and sound as a healing uh, influence. And you're the author of Tonal Influence, uh, which is a guide to listening better, speak clearer, and set the tone. I was wondering how much of tonal influence is actually math or frequency more than just the pragmatic abilities to listen better, speak clearer, uh, and setting a tone. Man, uh, yes. So the idea of the human voice, there is a mathematical equation that we're looking at because um, there are frequencies in the human voice that are more alarming and they're based on the frequencies that the human ear pays attention to. So one of them is particularly the 3000 hertz area. And that's the frequency of the human scream is also the frequency of the baby cry. And um, when people have those frequencies in their voice, uh, they sound more alarmed and like there's more of a problem. And where's the fire is the question that people will ask. And, uh, you know, when you have more of those tones brought up in your voice, uh, it sends signals out. And so no matter what you're saying, people are listening for the problem, like what's going on with you. And what we want to do is we want to reduce the alarm frequencies in the voice and bring more calming frequencies in your voice. And so, yeah, the, the mathematical equation for that is definitely at the forefront of the work. And looking at it, you will attract people. Yeah. We say your frequencies, your neighborhood. So if you have these different, if you're a, have a, the theta megahertz or, you know, different brain waves are uh, tuning in like a radio mm -hmm. uh, to what you say, what you say. And so um, if you have a tone that puts people at ease, yeah. you're going to have more of a flow in that relationship than a tone that creates dis-ease. Um, and it's interesting. How does it affect the way that we listen, though? I totally understand the way that we speak clearer and we set a tone or a vibration or frequency, but I found it extremely interesting that it's also a guide to listening better. So it's a, there's a two way street, the way that we, um, there's something that I call the speaker's voice and the listener's voice. So the speaker's voice that we talk about like that 3000 Hertz, right? But the speaker's voice is a voice that when you hear those frequencies in my tone, I am talking and it's very clear that there's really no space for you. But the listener's voice is a voice where I'm speaking here with you, but there's space for you. And you can kind of sense that there's space for you to respond and I would be willing to hear you respond. And these subtleties can be picked up in one's communication. So when we, when we have a tone that says, hey, there's a lane for you, others can hear that, they can sense that. Uh, 
there's there's so many little subtle things that are going on in the body. Or another example is, let's say I'm talking, but I'm kind of paying attention to something else. And even though I'm looking at you right now, I'm paying attention to something around me. You can probably hear distraction in my voice and you'd be like, what is he listening to? Because it doesn't sound like he's here with me. These subtleties are detectable and uh, we are much more capable of hearing them than we give ourselves credit for. And so, you know, when you're listening to someone and you're giving them your auditory attention, we can tell. Yeah, and there's a feeling that is mm -hmm. connected to that as well. And I talk about a lot, hey, you know, people aren't gonna remember. I like to drop a lot of nuggets when I speak mm -hmm. and it's like drinking through a fire hose. I know it is because I've done the work over 35 years and I know the complexity of some of the critical business issues or life or spiritual or just perspective things that I'm teaching. But that idea of keeping people connected so that when they leave, although they may not remember one takeaway, and I've tested this and I'm sure you have as well with the amount of speaking that you do. And you're like, man, you were the best speaker ever. I love you. Really, what was your favorite takeaway? You know, it, it, it's almost hilarious, but they love the way they feel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how does what we say and how we say it make people feel differently? So if I want to, you know, excite someone, you know, the excite, excitatory energy in our vocalization can give that to them. And, you know, there's the sound bath of what's being communicated and being transmitted is really hitting people on multiple levels. If you look at the, the um, like voice analysis data, which is just taking the, the entire frequency of the voice and you can see it, there's tones and there's overtones. And there's literally like layers upon layers upon layers of, uh, you know, zero hertz to 20,000. And when you're speaking, you're hitting the person with all of those frequencies at once, but just at different intensities. And so sometimes you are communicating on the level of the words. Then there's the level of the tone behind those words, which, you know, in, a, in like any conversation you can have, people are like, you know, why did you say that this way or, or not? But they feel and they sense. And so let's say I give a bunch of information that's, a lot to take in. Sure, it may be, but on an auditory level, on a frequency level, on a sonic level, they've been touched. And so they will metabolize that information a bit later. And yeah, sure, you may not have understood everything I said or grasped, grasped every word and put it all together right now. But the fact that you're not alarmed because I gave you a tone which was acceptable to you, it gives you space versus let's just say maybe you're super excited as a speaker and you're kind of hoping that they get everything and I have all this information for you and so on and so on and so on. It's all these nuggets of wisdom. Most likely you're scrambling the other person's brain. So they feel something that wasn't, that wouldn't allow them to collect that data. So the way that you communicate in the calm and the comfort with your material, the sense of rootedness that you have about what you're saying that also affects the long-term effect of how you come across. But one of the things that you utilize extremely well 
is cadence. And so we have intonation, connotation, but a lot of people don't utilize the cadence like you do uh, to create, as you said, the space. What impact does cadence have on the tonal influence? You know, they, they say things like, uh, you know, marching to the beat of one's own drum. And, you know, we recognize that in people when the rhythm of how we're saying things, you know, you're comfortable with it. That becomes, you know, there's this saying, they say, uh, you know, music is the silence between the notes. So a lot of times we think about, well, as, as long as we're transmitting signal, like then that's where the, the information or that's where the, that's where it's happening. But the space and rhythm with which that's coming across you know, do you do you drone on and have a certain, you know, when they say monotone, it's actually not monotone. That's a misnomer. It's monorhythm. That's like, oh my God, if this person does not change the rhythm of what they're saying, I'm going to go to sleep. And so you want to be able to give the the sense that like, hey, we're dancing. Uh, when the rhythm moves around a bit, it's like at any given time, maybe there's a response here and I'm leaving space to respond and I'm cool and I'm calm. I'm not threatened by the fact there's an audience here. And, you know, that gives a nice musicality to what you're saying. And finally, you know, understanding the tonal influence mm -hmm. obviously brings inspiration, motivation, confidence influence um but one of the things uh as you look at uh your tone as an instrument mm -hmm. you also note that it uh, assists in growth mm -hmm. and so i was curious you know how does our tonal influence help people grow we spend in our development the first thing that becomes apparent to us before words we spend, um, we're able to detect tone at about two months old, four months old, we're able to determine the differences between the emotions. We don't really start to play with words as much until about 18 months. So if you look at this, right, this is like this lifetime that your nervous system has acquainted itself to tone. And that tone has oriented your attention and your focus on things. And so your capacity to monitor and utilize your voice as an instrument bypasses the part of the brain that rationalizes with words and it gets deep under there into their system and you start to pull at things that are pre-language and that's the power of it is that you're getting to a pre-linguistic level with people and if you can create tones that especially if you have people that were alarmed or who have been over alerted by a lifetime of experiences or the way that they were raised or the way that they were spoken to when they grew up. If you come in as a change agent, a thought leader, if you're able to speak to them in tones that are associated with calm and comfort and like, hey, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, you might've had some trouble in your life, but it's okay, you can make it. You had, might've had some things that were going wrong, but it's okay, we can do this. You're penetrating them in that sense of 
that sense of getting right in there with your voice, that's where the 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 magic begins to happen if you're gonna use that word, you know. Which is probably why you're one of the leaders in helping with youth development all the way to law enforcement, uh, because we do not want to exacerbate situations uh, with alarming frequencies or accelerate people in the wrong directions. Uh, there's a saying in the speaking world, it's not what you say, it's what they hear. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to what people hear and a lot why, a lot to why they hear it. And total influence uh, is absolutely uh, one of the key components of what people hear. Check out Total Influence. It's a guide to listen better, speak clearer. You can set the tone, uh, which Marshall Davis Jones is doing for all of us. Thank you so much for your incredible work. We look forward to having you again on different shows of our more people need to understand also the quantum side of frequency and vibration, uh, uh, which uh, actually allows things to resonate or raises intelligent intuition and inspiration. The three components of tonality. Uh, Marshall, thanks again for joining us. All right. Now, thank you for having me, David. Thank you, man. We'll have you back. Great interview. There's some incredible insight on how we communicate and how we can communicate effectively and efficiently. Speaking of great communicators, our next guest coming on, he's like family now to me, uh, the incredible Robert Gill with Epic Financial and the Epic Financial Strategy King. He's my guy to help me uh, understand building wealth, a legacy, and uh, many more things that are connected to financial security. Rob, uh, welcome to Office Hours. Dave, it's always an honor. I love when I get a call and saying, hey, can you jump on in seven minutes? And I've learned always to say yes. I love saying yes to David Meltzer. Uh, One of the greatest yeses I said was about 14 months ago when I first had the good fortune of being interviewed on TikTok by you. And something that's been great ever since. Yeah, it's a fine, just a fabulous uh, relationship that we have. You know, I was thinking about financial security. Mm. And... You know, one of when I lost everything, uh, I'm a more interested than interesting person. I, I wanted to figure out uh, and be accountable for what I did and what I was supposed to learn so mm. that it wouldn't happen to me and then I could teach others so it wouldn't happen to them, especially because I was running uh, the most notable sports agency in the world. And here I felt like not only a loser, but a hypocrite that I was supposed to be teaching uh, the young athletes to keep their money and build a legacy. And I ruined my legacy. Um, And I wanted to be accountable for that. Bob Proctor, who has passed, uh, was one of my first mentors. And one of the pieces of of advice that he gave me as I went down to explore how to create a financial legacy is he said, David, save $2 million. He said, your decisions will be different if you have $2 million in the bank, they'll be better. And I didn't understand that until recently, looking backwards at the decision I make of what financial legacy creates for you in the realm of secure decision-making, not fearful, fearful, scarce decision-making. That's much easier to understand patience, longevity, 
exponentiality of, of growth with income when you have some money. How have you learned and articulated mm. this idea? And it doesn't have to be $2 million, but the idea that we make decisions differently when we're financially secure. That's the lesson that I learned. Wow. So um, what a great question. And I think that, you know, if I look at, first of all, your story, which I've, I've heard directly, and then I've also been able a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, which I love. I love hearing it. But you know, you know what stands out the most when I think of you, and I think of when you first got out of law school and the first couple of jobs you had basically paid for everything. You saved all that money. You always talk about all the money you saved up. And you know, here's what I suspect happened. And you and I have never had this conversation, but I suspect that as you were on the come up. And then, you know, achieving the success and you bought the house and you're like, what the hell am I doing here? I don't deserve it. The whole financial temperature thing. I think that as you were leveraging your real estate strategies, it became, you know, a, an addiction, right? It became that leverage play. And in our minds, it's like, no, 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 this is how we go to 200 or 300 or 400 million. And somewhere you forgot that that first, that liftoff point was all that money you saved when you first started this, you know, 10 years before that, let's say, in the, in the mid-90s to the late-90s when you were on the cutting edge of everything. By the way, just like you're on the cutting edge of everything right now in 2023, that's that's evident. You know, you're talking this compounding energy and quantum, and my head just starts, you know, I'm just like, I'm on vacation right now, so I'm looking out right at the Atlantic Ocean, and I'm like, yep, I'm right where it's supposed to be. You start to get crazy with the with the quantum physics, and I'm, I'm just listening as best as I can. So... I think that what you're telling me is that two million is your non-negotiable, right? And um, being that it's your non-negotiable, that's your that's your baseline of all your decision making. That's off of that, which is now going to be based on logic, math, and science. There'll be a little bit of an emotional decision behind it, but the majority of it, the emotion moves us. But I think that you're logically going to go through what you have to go through to make any kind of investment decision going forward, and. To each and every person on the call, it's all relative. It's got to be based on, all right, what is your non-negotiable? What does that number look like? Why is that your number? And then off of that, the, the goal is to never touch that as you're playing into the other spaces of what you want to do. If you're going to leverage it, make sure you do it the right way, meaning you don't want to leverage real estate off of real estate because it could go down. But one of the things, as you know, David, that we love to leverage is cash value life insurance because it's a guarantee. Right. So um, I think that's I think that's a phenomenal question. Thank you. Um, and I do believe that financial scarcity is a real pandemic. I think it's either handed down or even situations where people lose a whole lot of money or some kind of money. They get scared to to step back in going forward because they haven't addressed whatever that was or whatever that fear was. And I think money is about psychology just as much as it is about earning it and deploying it properly. And if you could get right with yourself within, understand what your core values are, understand what, what moves you in a non-greed mindset, but more in a mindset of giving and contributing and being able to put yourself in a position to prosper, I think that's what it's all about. Can you hear me okay, by the way? I just want yeah, to yeah, you you're good. Okay. And it's interesting, I have a new concept. One of the reasons I'm excited to have you on, I wanted to throw this to you impromptu uh, because I love getting people their initial reactions. Uh, one of the things that I'm studying is something called invisible assumptions. And uh, these invisible assumptions uh, in the financial world can make or break you. And, and I still, uh, 
when I make some critical business decisions or financial decisions, I still misread the invisible assumptions. And one of the invisible assumptions in the financial world, no matter how secure and how guaranteed an investment is, a treasury bond, you know, like yep. that there are invisible assumptions that we take and make, uh, like the person representing <clears throat> the guaranteed investment. Yep. And we, you know, I'll give you an example where I usually fall into trouble is I will have a family member or a close mm. friend and I will overlook an invisible assumption that this person is trustworthy because they're a family member or a friend. And then I'll blame them when something is miscommunicated or misrepresented even. Um, and I would say the biggest losses financially in my career have been off of that invisible assumption. And I still make that invisible assumption to this day. I will look mm. back and say, okay, this did not turn out the way I wanted because I just made the assumption that I could trust this person, what they represented or miscommunicated to me. Um, I also want to bring in, because he woke up early to be here, uh, our friends here. So good morning, buddy. <laughs> good morning. And I apologize. I had it down as uh, 6 a.m. my time here. I was, I I, I've been I'm traveling sorry. all week. So <laughs> yeah, no problem. Wrong you calendar. Missed, you missed out. I'm going to introduce you to Marshall Davis Jones because uh, he needs to go on your show. He talked about uh, the power of tonality. And mm. uh, it was a quantum conversation about vibration and frequency, oh. intonation, connotation, and cadence. Oh, uh, so I will make the introduction uh, to Marshall as well. Um, in fact, here, I'm, he's here. Comb your hair, Marshall. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, buddy. Not everybody has a hat like Blaine. But anyway, um, we were talking about invisible assumptions. I'm going to keep everybody in here. Uh, we'll go around the horn real quick. So, Rob, you see it probably more than anyone when you review, because I know you take like six meetings to see where people are at financially. Yeah. Uh, how important is it in critical decision making? You'll get decision exhaustion if you look for invisible assumptions in like what we eat for lunch. You know, you're going to get exhausted. But on big decisions, you know, how important is it and what are some of the assumptions people make that get them into big trouble financially? Well, to your point, if, if it's somebody that is close proximity is power, that all of a sudden you're going to take assumptions that, you know, you don't have to normally do if it was someone you didn't know, right? So mm -hmm. for me, I, I'll always say who's your top five or who's your financial educators that hold each other accountable. So one of the things that we do is we build out personal websites for each person that we do business with, personal financial websites, so all their data is on one landing page, including their accountant, including their fiduciary, including their trust officer, and in that space, we'll either give that to everybody, or if they're, if you're like, if Dave, if you're like, Rob, I need you to work on my fiduciary, we'll all be on that same landing page. And that holds everybody accountable for your benefit. If somebody doesn't want to be on that page, it's because they don't want to be held accountable. So, a good way to be able to do that is okay, you know, let's say if it's your cousin Marcus, all right, Marcus, this is great. Let me just run this through the rest of the team and see what they say. That's how you could prevent that feeling of emotion a year later that you had been had because it was a family member. And now all of a sudden you put yourself in a position to make the right decision because it's based on logic, math, and science, not emotional timidity. Amazing. And Blaine, you have the most experience of everyone here. And I'm sure you have been hit 
on the side and then in the front and in the back by invisible assumptions. Uh, what are some of the mechanisms, since you do coaching around the world with the biggest leaders in the world, what are some of the mechanisms or strategies we can use to figure out uh, if you know we're making an invisible assumption that would have a detrimental outcome uh, to a major decision? That's a great question. Um, I th- if there's two pieces that come to mind for me. Um, one is something just as simple as questions. Uh, mm. And and I and I do mean as simple as questions. It almost seems simplistic when I when I say it. But even if it's somebody that I know really well, I want to be able to ask the same kinds of questions of somebody that I wouldn't know as well. And there's this, and Marshall, you'll probably you know, kind of resonate with this, but I've I've done this long enough that I can. There's a resonance in the answer, <laughs> and if I know them really well, and there's something in the answer that they give me that seems to be a little off, what that tells me is that I'm paying attention to the background of the obvious, those un, you know those unvoiced assumptions, because that wouldn't be there. That little, hmm, that seemed that was a little odd. Yeah, or it got, you didn't quite yeah, jump into that answer. It was, it was almost a drive-by uh, sort of an answer. <laughs> so I think those two things in concert. Uh, yeah, and, and it kind of goes to the notion, you know, in something that I speak about a lot in the work that I do with executives is that almost everybody's an accidental communicator. Mm. Very, few, very few people have taken the time to learn to master the art and the process of communicating. And it kind of comes, you know, literally comes down. Virginia Satir said, you know, that communication is simply the ways, plural, that we work out common meaning with one another. And that common meaning lies in experience. You know, the, the, the experience of I've got, a, I've got a solid base here to work from. So, uh, Marshall, I brought Blaine in to pitch you up a big ass uh, softball to hit out of the park. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I would love for you to uh, jump on to the train here and how you view it, especially considering tonal influence in the invisible assumption re- arena. So, you can hear things based on proximity, right? And so one of the things that happens is we have like, I call it, you have your four circles, your four zones of influence. And the closer you are to the center, um, the hotter things are. There's a quickening, right? And the distance that things have, you know, it's it's, it's a bit cooler at the edges. You ever take a bowl of uh, oatmeal and you take the, you take it and cool it off at the edges there, right? And so what happens is, is, you can um, you can hear certainty and uncertainty. You can hear, you know, if you ask someone a question, the 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 connection between whether or not they feel real close to it or not, feel sure about it or not, all of those little cues, and we ignore them. We yeah. will ignore them. Like you know that you heard like. Mm. And the thing is that you don't want to address it because what happens is, is that um, people like to believe that they're getting over. People like to believe that if they said something to you that wasn't true, that it that you believed it. Mm-hmm. And what you want to be able to do is say, you know, 
uh, with the Black Swan Group, they have this thing called labeling, right? So like they'll um, they, they'll say something like, oh, you know, it sounds like, or it seems like. And if you want to address what you're picking up on, you want to give them the permission to, to, to like, oh, like, you know, I'm going to ignore that directly. And I'll say, hey, you know, it sounds like you're a little unsure about this. Or it sounds like there's something that you might be concerned about, or is there something that I'm missing? And you steer the person towards integrity and honesty because mm. people want to do that willingly. If you come in, it's like, oh, you're lying to me right now. I can tell you're full of it. <laughs> They're like, whoa, walls, 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 walls. And now you have denial. But if you can say, huh, Columbo is one of my favorite shows. I loved Columbo, man. You already knew. He always do his thing. He's like, it just, hmm. where he's not letting the person know, I got you figured out, man. I got you peg. He's like, I'm just trying to work this out in my mind. And maybe the perpetrator will come to their own senses and confess, or maybe not. But when people feel like they can open the own door to their integrity and honesty, they are more available to you. So if you can listen for the signs of land, steer them along with comfort, guidance, and assurity. And mm. you're telling to do that. And, and at a higher level, even without the specifics of, you know, this question of, you know, what sounds like, or you may not be so, that in the end, you know, questioning is a form of vetting, but without attacking. Right. Curiosity is a calming <clears throat> tonality of vetting and being curious of what is true and what is, isn't true <clears throat> doesn't have to be attacking in its nature, where even in the context of someone in the tonality that they ask, you know, you could say, no, you know, something seems amiss here. Could you explain that further? Because I'm not that bright compared to, you know, that doesn't sound right. Right. And I want to point that out because you're the expert of uh, tonality. Um, you know, to, to finish up, I'd love, you know, because we had kind of a disjointed uh, show today, I'm a huge takeaway person. And Marshall and I talked about this. It, it's remarkable uh, to sit on stage for an hour, an hour and a half, and people will literally come up and tell you you've changed their life. They best speech they've ever heard. And out of curiosity, not, you know, trying to vet them. I'm literally like, really like, you know, what was the number one takeaway that you had? And they're like, uh, <laughs> but it was the way that they felt that, that made them say that. And I planted seeds uh, probably under trees that would grow later on in their life uh, as Marshall indicated as well. Uh, so I would love for you guys as it's a vacationing, you know, a very uh, interesting week here at the end of July where people are all over the place is, uh, I, I know Rob is at the at the ocean, and Blaine and I have been traveling all over the world. And Marshall, I'm just assuming your experience, at least with people around you, not a, a normal cadence of uh, habitual behaviors. I was wondering what your takeaways were for the week. Uh, if you could look back on the week and say, you know, here's the number one thing that I took away this week for my life. Uh, and I'll start with you. Rob and work our way back around the horn, not to steal from ESPN. Yeah. Um, 
so real fast, I think that, first of all, Marshall, thank you for sharing that because in the curiosity of a question where I put my shoulder up and my head to the side with a different tone in my voice, it's much less invasive than saying, what are you talking about? You're wrong. You got to tell me the truth because that's more like a parent talking to a child, right? So it brings a person back to parts of their life that they don't even want to address. Love that. Thank you so much. You know, it's interesting, Dave, for me this week, uh, everyone sleeps at like nine or 10. So I get so much work done in the morning that I've been able to handle like, like, you know, points of contact. And I guess I could say I've been shrinking some days or turning some, some months into days right now, or weeks into mornings. And I'm in a different like speed right now. And it seems a little bit more like, um, I'll use the word quantum because that's, that's the word of the day. I feel like I'm on a different plane as I'm working through each day right now. And I'm here till next Monday, so that's kind of cool. Um, and for me, I'm just, I, I always want to focus on gratitude and fulfillment. I am feeling that in a certain way right now. And um, just reflecting on the AU basketball team that we did over the last 120 days, which has been an incredible journey, seeing these kids and learning the business side of it in the middle of all the other stuff I do. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. And then when I got your call today, it's always a great opportunity to spend some time with some really tremendous folks. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Barlett. Yeah. Um, yeah, I spent uh, most of this week uh, working with a, with a client, uh, two large organizations, about a billion and a half each coming together. And I was working with their board. Um, and then one of the executive teams, I'm going back next week to work with the other executive team as we kind of look at integration questions. So with that backdrop, um, what I'm what the takeaway is this week is, and this isn't a new aha to me, but it was really rich uh, this week. I, I wasn't just working with the, uh, in, the, in the case of the board, with the 12 people that were in the room. I was working with 10,000 people because that's the number of people that these two organizations actually represent from a, from an employee base. So uh, anything that I did was in service of the 10,000. I was speaking to the 10, but the 10,000 was really where I was actually directing my attention. And that, that it's interesting because it changes the tone and tenor of, of uh, how I listen and what is it that they're listening for in what it is that I'm presenting. So you know, just calibrating that rather than just looking at an agenda that, you know, straw man agenda that I put together going, well, I think we, we could probably usefully talk about this or explore this. It was kind of like, nah, let's see what emerges here. What needs to be, what needs to be heard so that it can be spoken to because it's going to be representative of something that 10,000 people are going to be resonating with. Beautiful. Our new newest friend, Man, you know, I can appreciate that. Uh, I saw this video a few days ago, and they're trying to figure this out. Scientists were like, if you take a bubble and you connect it to another bubble, uh, yeah. it creates this like geometric shape. <clears throat> and then as more bubbles are added to the bubbles, the geometric shape, there's a continuity to it. And there's this sense of like, um, everyone quote unquote is in their own bubble. But when we communicate with each other and our bubbles collide, there's something else that takes shape in the center. So to the point of like, you know, what is it like to wake up early in the morning and, 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 and 
when other minds are asleep and I'm awake listening to Robert, what is it like to think about 10,000 people who are being affected because I'm talking to you, but your mm. bubble is connected to all of these other things. And there's something that's taking shape and I'm paying attention to that. And the thing that's been the most important this week, particularly has been the adequate capacity to set boundaries. Mm. Because when you're able to do that, and you yourself are able to set boundaries, you're able to allow or disallow other things to connect the way you want them to. And they take shape the way you want them to. And so it's just amazing that no matter what, we're all here in this big bubble together. And however we take shape based on the people we resonate with and, and connect to, that as long as we're clear about our field, we can then engage with others meaningfully and purposefully. And so, yeah, man, like that, that video of, you know, bubbles just seemed to open up my perspective of what it is that I'm really attempting to communicate and, and train other people on, but like, what does it mean to be here with each other? We're going to have a great conversation, Marshall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see poor Rob's going to be up all day blowing his mind, which leads to my takeaway. Um, in being able to articulate a, a vision, which hopefully resonates with more people, uh, using illustrative vocabulary has been a key component so that people like Rob, who I work with uh, very closely, won't say, look, I, I'm not really sure what you said, but it sounds amazing and I got pieces <laughs> and parts of it. And so uh, it's my favorite question I ever asked Sadhguru which he laughed for an entire minute of joy because I asked Sadhguru the first question and Blaine may have been there on the TV show when I did it. I asked him, Sadhguru, what do you do to dummy down your shit so people understand it? <laughs> and he laughed and said, I've never, nobody's ever asked me that question. Uh, and my takeaway was a dummy down version of what I try to teach people, which is, hey man, you are a bag of beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that bag in, gives meaning to what you do, say, think, and feel. And if you don't like what you're doing, if you don't like what you're saying, if you don't like what you're thinking, and you don't like what you're feeling, then change the bag of beliefs. And in the, find out what belief is in your bag that's causing you to do <clears throat> things that make you feel bad or say things that make you feel bad or thinking things that make you feel bad because feelings are the aggregate of the intelligence, intuition, and inspiration that we've been gifted with called awareness or enlightenment. And so I love this concept of a bag of beliefs. And I find that a lot of people, you know, as much as I would love to discuss, and there's certain people like Blaine who has far, is, is well more versed in quantum physics, metaphysics, and physics than I am, and can, you know, capitulate at a vocabulary level of, you know, more than an eighth grader, which I'm at, it's wonderful to be able to articulate and illustrate something as simple as, dude, you are a bag of beliefs. And if you're not doing, saying, thinking, or feeling the way you want, go back into the bag. And guess what? You have your entire control over your bag. You can change your bag any day, any moment, any second, which will change the way you do, say, think, and feel. And I will tell you, my bag of beliefs have changed today in a quick 45 minutes 
that everyone showed up for us today, uh, invariably at the right place at the perfect time. And I want to tell you all, all three of you, how grateful I am uh, to share my time with you. And I look forward to sharing more time uh, with all of you. Thank and bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Have a great week, guys. Go get them, guys. Thank you. Keep changing the world. Those are my three friends. Blaine Bartlett, BlaineBartlett.com. You just lost him there, but that's good. Check him out as well. Uh, Rob Gill, check him out, and Marshall Jones. These guys are going to change. I got a quick visitor. He showed up after his jog. We're going to bring him in. Surprise! Hi, handsome. How are you? Good morning. You're the closer, man. You know, it's so funny. I I had a... uh, a person drop out, so I just sent out a message, a beacon, and I always wonder who's going to show up from the beacon. Blaine, Rob, Craig all showed up, and uh, it's before 8 o'clock everywhere here in the world, so this is amazing. Uh, Mr. Siegel, how was your run this morning? It was great. I, I cut it a little short uh, because Nick hit me up, and I wanted to be there for you because that's very important to me because that's what friends do, uh, but it was good. I broke a sweat, connected a little bit. And I'm excited to chop it up with you, even if it's just for two to five minutes. Best way to start the day. Let's rock. Yeah, I was going to rock and roll. And I want to bring up a topic that you and I discuss as I get to work with you as well. And you got to connect. Uh, we got to get Marshall on uh, the paradigm shift, by the way. So make sure you invite him on, on to that. Okay. How many episodes have we done in a row without missing? Uh, this week will be 123. 123. Wow. And we're at 523 office hours, by the way without missing. So uh, we're catching up. <laughs> you do a couple of weeks, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we're about on track. Um, <laughs> yeah, we do. We, we do. And we have the TV show too, which then catches up another bit. But one of the topics that I thought was interesting, and, and ever since I talked to you about it, I've been questioning the advice that I gave or, you know, the understanding is, and I think I was trying to communicate prioritization to you because you're a marathon runner, but you're on a huge mission. And I said to you, hey man, why would you spend that much time training for and running marathons when you could prioritize what you're trying to do more by running half marathons and training for half marathons? And it would literally be half as much time and you could take that time and apply it to building your brand, your community, empowering people, all the things on your mission. I wanted to get into your head because I wasn't, you know, I'm an ignorant, humble person. I don't know what I don't know. And it sounded mathematically to be good advice, but I've always questioned it because it's your priorities. And I was feeling like maybe I impeded on your priorities and, and put my priorities on your priorities. And I don't like to do that to my children. And I certainly don't like to do that to guys that I mentor and work with like you, you know, what was your thought process ever since when I gave you that piece of advice? I remember exactly where we had this conversation. It was at STK in Manhattan and I appreciate the advice and, and you're not wrong because me and you see eye to eye, not on a hundred percent of a hundred percent, but most things. And the reality is, is, I like to say, do a thing, do it well. I don't just do anything just to do it. If I'm doing something, I'm all in. And so when it comes to running marathons and training for those 26.2 mile beasts, there's a lot that goes into that. And if you break it down mathematically, if I'm putting a lot of time into that, somewhere else is being compromised. So you're right. And since we had that conversation, I haven't run 
a full. In fact, I did run a couple halves, and those were quite lovely. Yeah, um, and in recovery too, right? The amount of time it took you to recover from the marathons comparatively to a half marathon. Yeah, yeah. And, and I will say this, for everyone listening today, I personally think it's so important to have something out there that's not your career, that's an outlet for you to kind of test yourself and be a gladiator in a different arena, whatever that is for you. For me, it's running, maybe for someone it's painting or gardening, whatever the case may be. But I think you should have something. Will I run a full again? Probably. Um, but also, I understand that I'm never going to be all in on running because I'm all in on CLS and my fiance. So if I have that running on the side, I'll do that just to kind of like fill, fill my cup in, in that aspect. But I'm not going to be putting in what it would take for a professional to do that. So right now, I'm good with the halves. The recovery time is better for me. And as you said, it allows me to really double down on what's most important right now, which is my God-sized mission. Nice. Well, I picked up Blaine because he's still here. Um, I'm now the third <laughs> Blaine, handsome Blaine, cat Blaine's been, Blaine's been making people, believe it or not, uh, almost as long as I've been alive, but definitely as long as you've been alive. Uh, and so because of the difference in our age. Um, Blaine, as a world-famous mentor, uh, one of the top coaches in the world, uh, world business council, but not just in the business realm and the mindset realm and all the other things that you've written about. Um, you know, when you're mentoring someone and you give advice and post haste, you think to yourself, uh, maybe <laughs> that wasn't the way that I intended it to come across, or maybe it was, you know, an ignorant arrogance that I gave them advice out of my fear for them, not the 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 advice that best suited them um what do you do in the construct of that do you call them back or or, or how do you re-engineer yeah. advice that you maybe <laughs> have second thoughts on yeah uh, that's a great question david yeah and I, that has happened more than once yeah it truly has uh first couple of times that i noticed that kind of mm, um honestly i ignored it uh, just kind of let's see how this plays out. Um, <clears throat> but over time, where I've gotten to is I, I, I often I will give less advice and more. Uh, and when I do give advice, it really is. I want you to try this. Um, and we're going to talk next week. I want you to let me know how this is landing for you. And we'll course correct from there. But give this a shot. This is my best thinking right now. This is, this is what I got. <laughs> so I'll I'm, take it, play with it. And you know, you were talking a little bit earlier about this bag of beliefs. One of the things that I'll mention is this is going to, this is going to rattle some things. You know, you're, you're going to you know, bump up against a couple of things that you're probably not aware of right now and treat that as good news. But when we sit back down next week, let's have a conversation about this. Because uh, if if it was if it was catalytic if it, if it actually did something, it will have rattled something in that bag of beliefs. Yeah, and which is it, which, yeah, which brings up to me just the final issue because we got three minutes. But <clears throat> I love Marshall Thurber. I, I've read Social Deviance, uh, you know, it, to understand uh, how to perturbate people, and and, and, it's, and it's interesting with the cancel culture who absolutely is hypersensitive to perturbation because you can really hurt their feelings yeah. and then have a negative impact on what was supposed to be a positive, constructive piece of criticism yeah. to 
have a little bit of minor shock therapy to get their ass off the couch and off exactly. the screen. You know what I mean? And so Craigie Poo, I perturbate every once in a while. But my favorite thing about it is, is I've created a space where he feels comfortable, where if I don't utilize perturbation in the correct manner, he feels comfortable saying, hey, man, that really hurt my feelings. Like th th that, this not having a positive impact on me. And I just had to let you know. Uh, and he's thick skin, so I know, you know, and I, different employees, I perturbate different ways. Like my daughter works for me. I do not perturbate my daughter. Colleen <laughs> is a pleaser who you coach, uh, Blaine, right? I, I don't perturbate her. Uh, but Justin and Jake and these guys who you know, they're like Craig, right? I'll, I'll, I'll wake them up and I'm yeah. hoping it'll help them expand uh, to, to where they're at. Uh, to that end, this week, Craig made a mistake that I that I made as well from our coaching session. He wasn't a student of his calendar. And it was funny because he, he said, hey, man, I got to reschedule. I got the time frame screwed up or whatever, Blaine, which you and I do all the time, right? <laughs> and so I just typed in student of your calendar. But text, and I wanted to bring this up to Marshall, right? Text has no tonal influence. <laughs> so people, yeah. it's a reflection of their tonal understanding. And so if you're insecure about something and you write a factual statement, student of the calendar, because that's the cure to missing things, <laughs> right? <laughs> Studying your calendar, then the insecurity or reflection, all of a sudden you may have a detrimental effect on someone with no intention at all because right. you cannot use your tonal influence to communicate effectively. And so just to finish up, because we're right at the time. Craig, when I put student of the calendar, did you have a need to be offended or no. did you take it? Okay, no. I bet you did on that one. Because there's nothing else to say. It, it, was, it was on me, my team. I'll take full accountability. And you nailed it. And that was it. And I learned from it and move on. That beautiful. All right, boys, I got to get going. We're here at the National in Chicago. Anybody's around, I'll be doing a meetup in Indianapolis. Uh, to, we got dinner tonight. We have Angelo Pizzo, the director and screenwriter, producer of Hoosiers, Rudy, the 500 All-American. We have Andre Fluenlin coming in. Uh, incredible. Last night here at the National, Marshall Falk, Dan Fleischman, Dickerson's here, Dr. J. Uh, we're all around. So just please, guys, come join me. I miss you both. I love you. Marshall, call, reach out. We got three shows waiting for you. I uh, see you in the wing. So thanks, guys. <laughs> Send my love to everyone. Thank you, guys. Awesome. All right, real quick. If you want to join our text community, get notified uh, of where we are and when we are, 949-298-2905. Look at that. That's cool. And Or email me, david at dmeltzer.com. I want to thank all three of my friends. Four of them, Rob Gill dropped off. Man, we had a crowded show today. Raluca's happy in the background. She cares so much. She was like literally physically upset uh, that we couldn't uh, get this thing rolling. And Marshall saved the day. Uh, much love. We're going to be doing a lot more with him as well. The rest of the, you guys have been family for years. But remember, most importantly, we got training tomorrow, free Friday training. October will mark 24 years. So I'm catching up to Blaine. And uh, just be more interested than interesting. Be kind to yourself and do good deeds. Have a great day. Seize it. Thanks. Bye.